Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome out to Peace, Love, and Hot Sauce. Our next guest needs no introduction. It is none other than Mr. Josh Rowand, the Pitbull of the Blues. Thank you, Josh, for coming today. How are you today? Happy to be here, man. It's always a pleasure. So, um, let's get right into it. Sure. How long have you been playing? Well, let's see. I'll have a birthday in March, which I'll be 35. So, let's see if, I, if my math is correct. This is Dade County Public School math. Uh, I started when I was 12 years old, so... Wow. Coming up on uh, 23 years, is that right? Yeah. 12 years old. Yeah. What made you get started in family? Well, obviously. yeah, my dad being a musician always always kind of helped fuel the fire. Uh, when I was very young, I was like six or seven years old, uh, before I moved to Florida, my dad played a festival in Philadelphia with the band, uh, blues band of all things that he was working with. And uh, I remember seeing him on the stage there going, that looks like a hell of a lot of fun. I want to do that someday. Right. And um, moved uh, from South New Jersey to South Florida in 1990 and didn't really even start picking up the guitar until I was in middle school. And uh, originally I actually started as a bass player. My dad wanted a bass player for the band and didn't have at one at the time. 12 years old? At 12 years old, yeah. That's, wow, so he was doing like Walmart at 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, he, um, he was doing, um, uh, he actually was doing a lot more like acoustic blues when he first moved down here. And um, it uh, kind of was neat that uh, living in Coconut Grove, where we were at, uh, this was in the very early days of, uh, of the internet, that uh, my dad put a thing out there looking for somebody to, to, to uh, get together with and play tunes and found a guy that worked at the University of Miami through uh, the University of Miami interweb. And uh, turns out they had a lot of stuff in common. And uh, one of... I don't know if you're familiar with this guy, but there was a gentleman by the name of Fleet Starbuck that they, yeah. they did yeah, almost everything sure. in, in Miami in terms of blues. I mean, the two biggest bands that I always knew of from the Miami area were Ico Ico and the Fleet Starbuck Blues Band. And yep. uh, it was it was kind of neat that that group that was a duo, was, my dad was a guitarist, and there was a gentleman named Norman uh, Lee who also played guitar. They They did a lot of Jimmy Reed stuff, and Norman was a uh, guitar and harmonica student of Fleet's. Oh. And that's how we kind of met all of those guys. And um, shortly after they started going out and doing some of these like open mic things, um, Fleet introduced Norman to a harmonica student of his, a guy named Boomer Hess, who lives in Hollywood still. Oh. And uh, he was our harmonica player. And when they kind of started, the three of them were out doing trio stuff, and my dad was kind of getting into doing more music, and he kind of pushed me a little bit to, to if I wanted to pick up an instrument. He finally uh, handed me an old bass that he wasn't worried about me breaking. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and said, well, here, if you want to noodle around a little bit, here, you know, play, play some stuff on this. And uh, the first... The first instrument that I played was actually bass before switching to guitar. And how long uh, has your dad been playing bass? Oh, my dad's been an instrumentalist, and I say that because he actually started as a drummer, if I recall, around the same age, around like, like, um, 
12, 13, 14, something like that. He has uh, two older brothers that both played an instrument. One of them played guitar, the other one played accordion of all goofy things. And uh, they all kind of noodled around when they were younger, but my oh. dad was the only one that really kind of embraced it all and uh, and did a lot with it in the in those later years. Wow, yeah. and you play drums as well. Wonderful. Yeah, that, that actually came around uh, right around the same time. When I was in middle school, I had the opportunity to take a uh, a guitar class that kind of got me into it and uh, I was also able to enter band class as a as a percussionist and I played the snare drum and in, in band in middle school that's what kind of got my my musical wheels turning so to speak Wow. how many guitars do you got oh man uh, probably right around 50 at this point and uh, what well, <laughs> yeah Everybody has the same reaction when they hear that. Uh, the the next question is usually, well, where do you keep all of it? And uh, we don't need to know that. Well, no, I I, <laughs> I I tell everybody. I said they're you know they they rotate. You know, I break a string on a guitar, I put it in the closet for a while, and bring out a different one that I haven't seen in a while. So it makes it kind of fun because sonically it gives me a little bit of a change of tonality and uh, you know uh, being that I have as many of them as I do. I uh, started learning a long time ago how to set them up so I didn't have to spend, you know, fifty, sixty, a hundred dollars per guitar to take them to somebody to ah, adjust yeah. them and tweak them and fix them. So you know how to do all that yourself? Well, as long as it's nothing real major, but yeah, I, I actually uh, went to play a festival in uh, Oviedo, Florida. On this festival was on Saturday. I played a gig Friday night, and one of the pickups switches cut out, and uh, sat in my sister-in-law's living room resoldering my guitar wow. <laughs> to play the festival the next day and wow. uh, she looked at me like just do whatever you got to do just don't burn down my house so <laughs> what's your favorite guitar sir you have any well, favorites or? i mean i i for those of you who have uh, seen the band out and uh, and uh, see the, any of the promo photos of the uh the 57 chevy alley cat guitar that's that, your favorite that, that that's definitely it looks up great. there yeah it's definitely up there as as my my favorite uh, because of what went into it. That's the first uh, guitar that I've ever had named for me. Um, Dave Gartland of Alley Cat Guitars is out of Australia and uh, he makes a 57 Chevy model but with the pickup combination that I t that I researched and actually contacted Seymour Duncan and had them direct wow. mail all the pickups and how I wanted it done. Uh, Dave did a great job with the build. <laughs> he actually <laughs> he actually took it to two different guitar techs that he knew in Australia so he could find somebody that knew how to wire the the pickup configuration that I put in it because it's, it's a little more elaborate than most people realize. It's not just three pickups and a switch. Each individual pickup has its own micro switches on it that do different things. So oh. it was kind of kind of elaborate, but I'm, I'm happy with the, That's the results awesome. of how it all came out. Uh, it looks like a... 57 Chevy, Chevy. Yep. Uh, turquoise chrome yep and the, the, I what the, is it made out of you, you well, told me but I don't yeah the actual body of it is actually made out of aluminum it's hand shaped uh, Dave does all the sheet metal work he's actually a sheet metal worker by trade oh. um, plays drums but he's a huge rockabilly fan and that's actually how we found him he builds various other guitars that are shaped and styled of out of the 
Johnny Cash Sun Studios era wow. cars. So oh. he's got one that looks like a 59, I believe it is. I might have the wrong year, but uh, it's either a 58 or 59 um, Cadillac that has the big bullet style rear tail lights. Yes. He's got one that's shaped like that. Um, I, I, every now and again, I'll, somebody will send me a picture. Hey, this looks like your guitar. And it'll be either the, the Chevy model, it'll either be the Cadillac model. Um, over in Europe, there's a, a brand called Holden, which was the European GM cars. And there's a Holden model guitar that he built. And every time it pops up on Facebook or various other new, you know media outlets, everybody tells me it looks like my guitar. And it does because it was all built by the same guy that built my guitar. Any plans so. for a Chevy Chevette guitar? Uh, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not. But no, he makes some really nice stuff. And and what's neat about it is they're they're all the necks are all wood. That was the only that's the only uh, part of the guitar that's not made of aluminum. But the actual bodies themselves are all all hand shaped and handmade out of aluminum, hand welded and put together. And mine. The inspiration for the guitar was based off of his 57 Chevy design, mm. but the color scheme was actually as a result of my longtime drummer, Richie Coroselli. Oh. He, um, yeah, so Richie, he um, showed me a picture of a Gretsch drum set that he was like his holy grail kit. He says, man, if I could ever one day pick up one of these kits, I would absolutely love it. And Gretsch did a Renowned series, which is one of their lines of drums, um, known as uh, the 57 Renowned. Yeah. And they came in a black and white paint scheme, a red and white paint scheme, with the Chevy kind of uh, chevrons, I guess is what they call them, that, that V kind of logo. Mm -hmm. And one of the other models that they offered was a Motor City Blue. And the Motor City Blue was a... Well, the the black and the black kit was black and white. The red kit is uh, red and white, but then the Motor City Blue is a Motor City Blue and white paint combination. Cool. So I actually sent a photo of the drum set to Dave, who built the guitar, and he went and tried to best match as he could the color for the guitar. To be a two-tone paint scheme to match the drum set, huh. so that's actually where that that stemmed from originally. So, you know, some would call it a baby blue, some would call it like a powder blue or whatever. Uh, but it's 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 the the technical color, if you want to call it that, is based off of the Gretsch '57 Renown kit in Motor City blue. That was the that was the wow. design. Yeah. Uh, you're not a, a Strat player either. Um, well, I do, you, I... do you not like them, or it's just not your trick bag? No, I, I, I have a few of them. I actually have one that was, that was, uh, that I won in a raffle that I took the body and the neck apart and sent it to my brother-in-law in, in uh, Arkansas, and he repainted it and, uh, set it up with a really cool, like, metallic green and, uh, charcoal gray kind of paint scheme, and I, I do like them. In fact, uh, part of the, the design, sound-wise, with the the 57 Chevy guitar is that it does actually have a five-way pickup selector switch and the way that the pickups are designed I have um, it looks like a humbucker in the neck a single coil in the center and then a humbucker at the bridge Jeez. but the way the the way the pickups function this was through Seymour Duncan the humbucker pickups are what's known as a P-rail 
You can make them sound like a P90, you can make them sound like a full humbucker, or you can make them sound like a single coil based off of the micro switches wow. that control the sound. So when you hear that on the recordings, um, the new album that we have coming out, nice. you can actually hear a lot of Strat style sound, but believe it or not, most of it are all coming off of the Alley Cat. And um, you can still get that, you know, Stevie Ray kind of, uh, what most guitar players know is that two and four position, which is the combination between the neck pickup and the middle pickup, and then the, or the middle pickup and the bridge pickup, it gets a very unique kind of, uh, you know, what everybody now knows in the blues world is like the Stevie Ray kind of sound or tone. Do you think uh, he ruined it for a lot of players? I don't think so. No? I don't think People so. People are still trying to catch catch well, that rising star and that can't be duplicated and there's well, too I, many yeah. guys with a, a hat and a strat you know <laughs> see here's here's my my thing anytime you have somebody that's directly trying to emulate somebody i have a little bit of an issue with because at some point you need to stop trying to be someone else and start being you Sure. Which I guess for me, which is part of why I really, really, uh, really like the 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 kind of stuff that I'm that I'm doing now because I try to pull from a lot of varieties of stuff. I told somebody in an sure. interview when I was 17, they said, you know, what type of music do you listen to? And I literally told them, I said, uh, I, I listen to BB King, Beethoven, Busta Rhymes, anything, cool. because you really don't know what's going to influence you. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean you yourself know. I mean you know as as uh, you know the type of music that your dad played. You know that's going to be yeah. an influence on you. Yeah, never sure. mind that he's your dad. It's, right, it's just great stuff. Sure. You know my dad, my my father is more of a acoustic blues player when he picks up a guitar. He likes you know Blind Blake. He likes uh, um, you know guys like um, uh, Roy Bookbinder and these guys. That's his school of playing. Right. I try to pull from that and then try to do, you know, my part with making it my own rather than just copying what they did. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I always kind of listen to the guys that are out there now. I mean, you know, in, in the term of like rock blues guitars, even Stevie Ray Vaughan, he definitely had his place in the world. But, um, Interestingly enough, my dad, who knew a lot of like Chicago blues for li from living in Chicago and played a lot more of that style of stuff, when we moved down here to South Florida, he heard on the news, you know, blues rock guitarists, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan passes away. He'd right. never even heard of him wow. until after he died. Wow. And it's interesting because my dad's, you know, Delta blues uh, knowledge and then... Chicago blues knowledge, Muddy Waters, you know, Albert King, all those kind of guys, Freddie King. That was what he knew because that was the generation of players and stuff that he that he picked up from. Um, you know, obviously, you know, being a um, a child growing up in the '60s, you know, he knew a lot about uh, you know bands like Canned Heat and all that kind of stuff and the, and their their influences. But even if you go back and listen to Albert King. There would never have been a Stevie Ray Vaughan if there hadn't have been an Albert King. Oh, sure. Most people take that for granted. I, yeah. I actually talked to a guy the other day that said, you know, do you do any Chicago blues? Because, you know, that's where it all came from. 
And I said, well, sir, with all due respect, if you don't know anything about Robert Johnson or Muddy Waters and the stuff that they recorded down in Mississippi, and you know, because of guys like, like Sam Phillips that were recording black artists at Sun Studios, that music would have never even gotten right. to Chicago the yeah. way that it did. Yeah. And the guy was dumbfounded that like he thought that you know the epicenter and is all and be all when it came to blues was in Chicago. And I said, it a lot of it did, but you know, thirty, twenty, whatever it was years before that, these guys were playing all this stuff down south. That's why you have a lot of blues in Texas. Yeah. That's why you have a lot of blues in Mississippi, Memphis. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, realistically, from Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, you know, the train ride north basically took you straight through Mississippi yeah. into Memphis on your way to Chicago, if that's where you were going as far as a, as a blues player. So, you know, to... to pull that kind of knowledge and and try to build on it i guess is kind of more my school of thought yeah. i mean i i love anybody that can pick up a guitar and play any song note to note start to finish that takes a lot of dedication and skill it's not easy to do no but <clears throat> what you do with it after that is what impresses me more if that if that makes sense to you sure because you know there's 101 players out there joe bonamassa is an amazing rock guitar player um, but if I'm going to go learn any of the songs that he does, I don't want to play it exactly how Verbatim. he does. Right, right, right. You right. know, I want to throw my own twist on it or, sure. or use that to inspire a song that, that I wrote. Hell, one of the, I've told you this story yourself. One of the first times that uh, my dad and I saw the Hepcat Boo Daddies, I was listening to the kind of tunes you guys were doing and said, shit, I want to write a song that has that kind of feel, that has that kind of groove, that has that kind of energy. You know, it, uh, not not so much to take away from what you guys are doing, but it inspired me. Okay. You know, and that, and I guess that for me, you know, like I said, next month I'll be I'll be thirty five. You know, it's it, it's time to stop going. What do you want to listen to and and learn from, and what are you going to do with it? Yeah. You know, and I agree. and what are you going to show somebody else that they can do with it? And and I guess that's kind of just where I'm at with it. You know. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, the blues world, the rock world, and uh, how you feel technology helps music nowadays or how it may hinder it. Well, it, it's always going to be an interesting conversation with musicians that not only tour but also record and produce their, their music because a very big avenue, which is you know CD sales and, and music sales, is kind of closing in a little bit. And what I mean by that, you hear, you hear stories right now that um, you know Best Buy, as of the end of this year and the next coming months, yeah. are going to stop selling CDs. Yeah, I know. It's awful. Well, how many blues bands, aside from Cream... Eric Clapton, Robert Cray, John, you know, Johnny Hooker, BB King. How many of the local artists or the people that you know that tour have their albums in a Best Buy? You are right about that. <laughs> You're right about that. <clears throat> well, I think we're, we've all come to the realization as performers that yes, everybody wants to have 
hear music. Everybody wants to, to support your band. Yeah, you know whether it be in the forms of buying the band drinks, buying you know buying CDs, buying albums, buying T-shirts, buying merchandise, right. yada yada yada. Um, there's so many people now that are not even considering making hard copies of CDs anymore. Yeah. Some guys, for nostalgia purposes, are doing records just because they sound cool, but they're expensive. But the other thing is, and uh, having just been up in Memphis again during the uh, IBC, there's a lot of International people, Blues Challenge. That would be the International Blues Challenge, yes. Um, a lot of people are doing digital... Download cards. Download cards. Um, there was a guy up there, I think it was last year when I was up there, that was basically putting out little uh, one-gig jump drives that had all of the band's information had their their tour schedule had a link right to their site had like three or four of their tunes you know it's just uh, the 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 tech part is making it easy to get your information out to a lot of people in a very quick way right but in a very uh, what's the word I'm looking for easy? I guess would be well no 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 it's 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 an easy way but it's it's not it's not a very formal way no it I... used to be Hey man, you want to buy my CD? You right. want to buy my album? Shake yeah. my hand. Yes. Hand me a twenty. I'll sign it. You know, Something. let me get the band. Whatever. You know. Right. And and now it's uh, okay. How soon can I get your album via Amazon? Right. You know? Yeah. I I don't know. Maybe I'm old school, but I like the fact that you can take something home that's tangible. You can I'm read. You. Read yeah. who wrote it. Read. Yeah. You know the thanks. You know. You know. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I agree. Just, I agree with that 100. percent I mean, something as simple as my truck that I'm driving has a hard drive that's built into the dashboard that if you put a CD in it, wow. you can hit upload and it'll upload everything from the CD right into the hard drive. So I don't have to have a box of 100 CDs rolling around in my in my truck wow. of all the music I like to listen to. Wow. I went through my entire CD collection, the hard copy collections of it, and put everything onto a hard drive. Um, transferred 3,400 songs onto a very heavy-duty uh, thumb drive, plugged it into the dashboard in my truck, and now have 3,400 songs that I can pull up at any given time Wow! in my vehicle. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing what you can do with technology. Yeah. But, yes, being able to pick up a CD, in fact, your, your latest CD literally went into my truck the day I opened it, and I put download and it uploaded it right into the, to the right. truck, so it, it's in there. You know that's 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 the neat part about technology and what you can do with it. Right. So, so yeah. So yeah, I think we're both on the same page with it. I mean, now here's the other side. Because there's so many companies like BMI, ASCAP, all of those things that are governing all of the digital media things. I think it's kind of neat that at the end of the day. And and, I, and I'll give you a very real story. The the band that I mentioned that my dad played with in New Jersey, I was actually the poster child for the band. When I was like five years old, he took a picture of me holding his bass with a pair of funky blue sunglasses uh, on, and that was the flyer for the band. The band was cool. Anna King's Dirty Works. There's a guy named John who um, was the was, him and his wife were the the band leaders. Uh, she sang and he played guitar. And there's a few songs that they played that I really enjoyed. And he and I recently, this is within the last two years, 
had an, had it out over me playing one of their songs, which I played it as an homage to them because that was one of the bands that really got me in, into playing and doing what I'm doing. Hmm. And he told me, he says, you know, I, I appreciate that you're doing it. I appreciate that you like the songs, but I always wanted to do something with that on my own project. Well, to give you an idea, my dad just turned 68. John was at least my dad's age, if not, if not a little bit older. So at this point, he's not looking at the reality of it. If he's already got the songs copywritten, and he's got the writer's credits for it, and he's got everything set up for it, every time that I play his song, if I filmed it every single time and put it on YouTube, he'd make money off of that song. But how much? Anything. Yeah. I have a friend that uh, you may know. Um, uh, guy's name is Mark Markham. He uh, wrote a song called If This Is Love, I Want My Money Back. <laughs> Yorma Kokanen and the guys from Hot Tuna have recorded it. Wow. Hundreds of bands have played it, recorded it. If you look up that song, If This Is Love, I Want My Money Back, there's a hundred variations of it on YouTube right now. Oh. He showed me a check for thousands of dollars for royalties from it being played. Wow. There's a potential for that. Sure. I, I was talking with uh, another mutual friend of ours, uh, Randy Pullman. He was talking with me about a lady in Kansas City that has a band, um, for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it right now, but she said that she goes online and submits her set list every time she plays a show, even if it's all original material, because to BMI. She, she submits it to BMI or ASCAP or whoever that she goes through every single time that she plays because she gets paid for playing her material. And I start looking at it going, well, how many of us musicians are going to be lazy and actually, not do that? Yes. Every, but yeah. how many of us are actually going to? Right. And it's it's friggin' brilliant if you think about it. Yeah. Every venue in town, yeah. if you have a jukebox on the wall right. that's live streaming from wherever, because they're all digital now, yeah. they're supposed to pay into BMI and ASCAP for the rights for the songs. Right. So anything that's played on that jukebox... If you want to go and, and listen to Living on a Prayer a hundred freaking times. No, let's not. I'm not, I'm not saying to do that. But, you know, they're going to make their two cents or whatever they make on the other end. You know, and, and when you start looking at how to play the game in your favor as a local musician or as a, a, a now touring, you know, person like yourself or, or even to an extent of what, what I've got going on, you know, it... it can be a really good thing if you do it right and if you play the game right. And I hate to say that we all have to play the game with it, but it really is. It's a, it's a numbers game. If you can if you can show that you're doing six nights a week, and every time that you play, you're going to play thirty songs or forty songs in the course of a night, and they're all originals. Why shouldn't you get compensated for that? Yes, yes. that's exactly why BMI and ASCAP are here. That's right. what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah, I guess the worst part with uh, with with all of that, with with the mindset of submitting your set list every time, is is like we we were just discussing. It's a lot of work. It's a lot to try to put all that kind of stuff together. But you know that that that's that's kind of the way the world's heading. You know, if you can get paid for playing your songs while getting paid to do a gig. 
Why not? Why not? Sure. Why not? You know, and especially if you're going to do that as your profession and as your career, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer of it. Yeah. You know, I, hey, anytime I play a Johnny Cash song, anytime I play a whoever song, right. you know, why not give them the credit for it? Sure. And like I said, the, guy, the, the, the whole basis of why I was bringing that up in the story is the guy that was the guitar player that my dad worked with asked me not to play one of the songs in particular. One of the other songs, he told me I can record it and put it on my CD, and he doesn't care if he makes a nickel off of it. He just wants, you know, name, you know, that he wrote it and all that kind of stuff. But the one song in particular, he asked me specifically not to play, and even told me that there would that there would be legal ramifications if so. And I contacted him directly and said, "I'm only trying to do this to help you." Mm -hmm. You know, now maybe at that time he didn't have the song copywritten, and who the hell knows. But he should have, considering this was yeah. 30 years ago that I knew of the song. Right. You know, so, you know, what, what you know, that, at the end of the day, I mean, you got to respect the artist's rights at, at the end of it. But, hey, if I'm, if I'm, if I can help somebody else out by playing one of their tunes and give them a couple bucks, even if it is, you know, a check for $10 every six months. Right. You know what? Why not? You know? Now, uh, what do you think about the uh, genre that that you're in, uh, local and on a national and uh, uh, European level? Well, I still haven't made the trek over to Europe yet, so I'm going to be a little. Uh, I don't know. If I, I don't know if I'm out of touch with it, but I will say this: going to something like the International Blues Challenge in Memphis opens your eyes to what the rest of the world sees you've been up there you've seen it mm -hmm. i've been up there every year for the last nine years in some respect either as a competitor this past year this is past uh, january was the first time i went just as a spectator and you know what it was kind of nice to just hang out i bet it was just nice to hang out yeah. i got a chance to jam with a 20 something year old female harmonica player from brazil awesome who absolutely crushed it on harmonica nothing fancy no $400 bullet mic no 1960 Fender Princeton walked up to a regular old SM you know 58 right. vocal mic and just freaking wailed right yeah and that makes me feel really good at the end of the day you know as somebody who who was born here in the States and you look at jazz and blues as one of the literally one of the only art forms that musically really blossomed here. I mean, yeah, there's you know there's stories about a lot of the the songs and stuff that when the slaves came over from Africa and all that stuff, they they kind of morphed into blues. Yes, I get that, but you know what? At the end of the day, United the United States has you know General Motors, you know Dodge, Chevy, Chrysler, Ford, and blues. <laughs> I mean, it's really kind of a crazy a crazy way of looking at it, but. You know, blues and jazz really thrived in the in the U.S. for a long time, and you know, never mind country and all that other kind of stuff. That I'm not not poo pooing any of that, because um, that all was an offshoot and all stemmed from a lot of this kind of stuff. Well, country is primarily pop now. Well, to me, that's very sad. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've heard it described a bunch of ways that you get bands like Florida Georgia Line, and it's just a shitty rock and roll with a with a fiddle and a banjo. Country and is technically called Americana now. Right, right. And and you know what? I, I, in, a, in a way, 
the the Johnny Cashes and the Willie Nelsons, if they're in the same kind of category as BB King and Freddie King as Americana, I think I'm okay with that. I had the TV on the other day. I think it was on a Good Morning America show or something like that, and they had an up-and-coming uh, country right. uh, artist on. I can't forget. I don't remember the, the person's name. Okay. But uh, this is just my opinion now. But right. to me, it was freaking ridiculous. It, it, was look, it, it looked like um, McDonald's. And uh, Target made an artist and <laughs> and the music and said, "Here, America, I'm gonna shove this down your throat because this is what you should be listening to, as opposed to someone who is the real talent sitting right. on the couch right. or uh, working a day job. At, at, you know, it was just it didn't sound like." I don't know. It's just me. Maybe I, I'm old school, bro. No, but. man. I, I I understand exactly where you're coming from. There's a, there's a um, there's a fine line with what artists are qualified as, what money making artists are qualified as, and what the the general music mass media thinks will sell. And obviously, you know, there's there's always the, uh, you know, if it looks good and sounds good, then people will buy it. Uh, sex appeal kind of, uh, you know, mentality, I guess would be the way to put it. But at the end of the day, what are you really getting? Yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, none of us uh, are ever going to forget the, the uh, Millie Vanilli incident of the late 80s, and early the, 90s. And uh, that they think... Yeah. Two guys that they thought yeah. would look good and would get people to yeah. buy to buy things. Neither one of them could sing worth a shit. Meanwhile, yes. everything that they did was was lip synced. Yep. Yep. And then, how many times now do you see people performing on stage where everything it's, is done to, yeah. to a backing track, and yeah. rarely ever, you know? And and I don't even want to say that it's because of censors and everything else, but you know, even Justin Timberlake's situation with uh, Janet Jackson put a you know, now you have to have a delay on your broadcast. Now you have yeah. to have this, and now you have the, the, you know, stuff being censored because, you know, you can't. There's holograms now. Yeah, there's holograms and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you go back and forth with all of this kind of stuff, and you go, well, what the hell? Why am I even doing this? Why am I? Why am I playing six nights a week in local bars, dealing with people making stupid requests for songs that I've never even heard of? When at the end of the day, for all of us, we just do it because we want to get our music out there and at the end of the day it does our heart good by playing live music but and we may always be better than what's on the radio and what you hear now and some people may think so some people may not but at the end of the day you just want to go I enjoyed myself I did my job which is to play music and entertain people and I'm gonna live my life tomorrow doing the exact same thing again God willing yeah even if I'm not in a Walmart or a Target ad. <laughs> but I just wish artists were appreciated more for the real stuff. And that's just sad to me that that's the state of music nowadays. It seems like teenagers control the music 
industry right now. And well, sharks and thieves, just right. like the Hunter S. Thompson quote. Well, I, I will agree with you on that here in the States. But from everybody that I talk to and all these people that I meet that are from over in Europe and South America and 101 other countries, I think they get it. You know, one of my goals sure. in life is to have the opportunity to go over to Europe to play. When I played in Canada, yeah. the, the jazz festival that you guys played as well, mm -hmm. the appreciation for that was unbelievable. Oh, we did wonderful. Two, we did two one-hour sets, and after the first set, we went over to check to see how the CD sales were, were doing, and we sold out of everything that we brought Yeah, in one hour. Yeah. Other places get it. What's going to take for the U.S. to get it and support you know, local, you know, homegrown musicians and artists? I don't know. I don't think we'll ever know. Yes, I agree that uh, Canadian fans are wonderful. You know, we, we get a lot of them down here in South Florida that are snowbirds, and we all kind of laugh about it because we say they're snowbirds and all that kind of stuff. But in the Fort Lauderdale area, there's... Not as many venues as we wish there were for, for live music. Yeah. But you can really see the difference in mentality when the Northerners are here. Oh, yeah. Whether they're the Canadians or whether they're just, you know, people from the Northern states. There's more of an appreciation for it, for live music, than it will be in the summer. And I hate to say yep. that because South Florida, Miami... You know, that whole area is so heavily based around people that are your and my age and around electronic music now that you don't have as many guys doing live music stuff like like you would in, in a place like Memphis or Nashville or, 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 or whatnot. L.A., Chicago. And, but, but even as close as the West Coast, mm -hmm. Naples, Fort Myers, Sarasota, Tampa... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many musicians that we both know that, that come out of that area. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a different appreciation just with a, something as simple as a two-hour drive to the other coast. Mm -hmm. Because the people that live there have a different mindset than the people that live here. And I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent, but as a as a performer, if I can play in a room at a place in Cape Coral that is a small room by anybody's standards. Six or eight seats at, at a high top bar. Nine tabletops in the entire place. And then there's a restaurant that's on the, the, the other side of the wall from it that's all part of the same place. And at the end of the night, We've got the door propped open and there's people sitting in chairs out into the parking lot because they're sitting and listening mm -hmm. and enjoying. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of nights that make being a musician and, and doing this sure. full time, that, those are the kind of nights that make this worth living. Mm -hmm. It really is. You know, and, and it's not even just a matter of by seeing how much money is in the tip jar or by how many CDs you sold or how much money you made at the gig. I've told people, you know, a hundred times that um, for me, I'd rather play for free to 20 people that really give a shit and really enjoy what I do than to play for a million people for a million dollars to a room full of people that don't care. 
because there's really there's just no there's no sense of I don't know if the word the proper word would be either fulfillment or gratification mm-hmm. um, or or even just simple as acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, I'm up here. I'm not you know Joe the lawn guy who's going to be done cutting your grass in ten minutes. I'm here for three hours playing music for you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know if you don't like the songs I'm doing, that's why people make requests. You know, you're allowed. I don't, you know, shun anybody for making a request. If it's not a song I know, it's not a song I know. But to be in a room, and like I said, on a small stage in a room full of a lot of appreciation, I think is what we all hope for. But then on a a grander scale is a little bit nicer. And then on a much grander scale, i.e. a festival like the, the, the jazz festival up in Montreal is a, you know, much grander scale. But at the end of the day, it's all the same you know, acknowledgement for a job well done as a musician or as a performer, as an entertainer, call it whatever you want. <coughs> Rolling! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, who are your favorite musical artists, national and non-national? Well, let me, let me, let me back up a little bit. I mentioned a, a name that, that you remembered, uh, Fleet Starbuck sure. uh, from, from down in Miami. And this, this is kind of an interesting story that, uh, well, at least I find it interesting. Some of you guys might be telling, oh, not again. But growing up in South Florida and, and living in Coconut Grove, I met a lot of musicians through the people that my dad worked with but not a lot of people up here in Broward or in Palm Beach County. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until within the last, you know, six, yeah, let's go 18 years that I really started kind of branching out and finding out about more of these people. Um, I knew of Fleet Starbuck Blues Band. I knew of Ico Ico. And I knew of um, Big City Blues Band. Oh, yeah, and Roach sure. Thompson was a guitar player oh, with that. Jack, yeah, Jack Looney Thompson. played with those guys. The, these are the guys that I knew because of where I lived. It wasn't until I started playing in Hollywood, uh, I think I was around 13 or 14 years old, my, my, my band, which in, included my dad, uh, Norman uh, Lee, who's the other guitar player, Boomer Hess, and eventually we, we brought in a drummer. Um, these guys... We started playing in Hollywood at a place called Kelly's Pub, mm-hmm. and we were a house band there, for lack of a better word, for just shy of 10 years. And when we would go in and play at Kelly's, on across the street was Sushi Blues, which was right on the on the Hollywood Circle. I remember that place. Dave Morgan was playing in there yeah. with Ken. Wonderful guitar player. Absolutely. On if you walked out the door to Kelly's Pub and made a left and went down a block was a place called Sushi Jazz, and yeah. on Saturday nights you would see Jeff Prime and Another guy. and great. company. They'd all be out there playing out on the on the on the sidewalk, and Bobby Friedman would be out there rolling his B three out of his van and setting up <laughs> yeah. on the sidewalk. Yeah. So that was where I kind of started getting brought into the Broward County musician scene. And everybody like, oh, you're a guitar player, your name's Josh. You must know Josh Smith. Uh, I've never met the guy until I was standing at Fishtails with you like four years ago. Really? That's the first time he and I ever met and shook hands. Wow. Was then. Wow. And just circumstances. Wow. I knew of him. 
I knew he grew up playing a lot in Hollywood. He was Josh Smith and the Frost. Right. And he played at Club M, which was also in Hollywood. You know, Club that's that's M. all I knew about him. That was really all I knew about him. I never met him. And actually, I will say this: I, my dad and I went to the Sunrise Musical Theater to see BB King and Josh and his band open for him. Right. That's all I knew. Wow. Never met the guy. So now I'm 15 years old. Guitar Center opens up in Hollandale Beach, Florida, right off of 95. My dad and I go for the for the opening. And we see that they have this little guitar player, blues guitar player competition thing that they're doing. So for kicks, I enter it. Mm -hmm. I'm 15 years old. Mm -hmm. I walk up on the stage, I tell the band, I said, I want to do a shuffle, I want to do a swing, I want to do this, do that. I'm singing, I'm doing all this kind of stuff. That day, nobody knew how old I was. Mm -hmm. They thought I was, you know, 19, 20, whatever. Mm -hmm. I ended up placing second in that competition. First place player was Michael Locke. Oh wow! Yep. Too funny. Yep, and and that's literally that was the day I met Mike, the first time I ever seen him, and and I tell you, man, he's in Ohio now. Yep, yep. Well, <laughs> at the time, I didn't, I'd never heard of him, didn't know who he was, met him there. Great guy, great player, and now flash forward many years later, I'm working with guys like AJ Kelly that worked with Michael's band. <laughs> you know, Michael Locke and the what was it the Repeat Offenders? Repeat Offenders, yeah. yeah. He was in also. The Night Stalkers with Billy Livesey. That was before I knew yep. any of those guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, that was uh, those were some of the guys that I kind of first started meeting around the area. And uh, I don't know if you recall, there was a place called the Sandbox that was in that was in Hollywood as well. Yes, I do recall that. All right, <laughs> there was the Sandbox. There was also what was the other one that was on the corner? Oh my by, god! Was it Chuckums that was over by Mama oh Mia's around the corner? Oh my god! Sandbox. So, my dad and I were playing in Hollywood. We get word that there's a jam night that's happening in, in Hollywood. And my dad and I, much to my mother's dismay, this is a you know, Wednesday, Thursday night, whatever it was, we go walking in. I go walking in with my guitar, and he goes walking in with his, with his bass at this point. And I meet a drummer for the first time as I was 15 and met a kick-ass rock blues band, mm -hmm. one of the best ones I, I, I knew. And it was the Mr. Twister Band. And it was um, Johnny Sorter was the guitar player. Johnny, Mr. Twister Sorter. Earl the Dog Howard, which was the bass player, who sadly has left us a couple years ago. And um, their drummer was none other than Richie Coroselli. Oh, and, check that out. And I met Richie, like I said, I was you know, 13, 14 years old, 15 maybe at the most. And uh, they also had Kathy Cotton was their oh, was the yeah. singer for that, and they were the core band. And Kathy would get up and do her, do her her uh, tunes and stuff with the band, but they would kick stuff off. Mm -hmm. And it always blew my mind to see what these guys were doing as a trio. You know, the tunes, the songs, the the music was just freaking awesome. And Johnny was one of the, the guys that really kind of inspired me at that young age to not just do blues. And what I mean by that is, you know, they would do something like Tin Pan Alley, absolutely kill it, and then they would go into like Stranglehold from Ted Nugent <laughs> as the next tune. And all of this while they're hosting a, a quote, blues jam night. Wow. And um, it just so happened that one night that there, I was there with my dad, 
And I guess Kathy got into an argument with Johnny's girlfriend, and I don't remember her name for the life of me. But um, she told Johnny, she says, look, man, I, I just need you to go home tonight. She says, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow for, at the next gig, but I just don't want to get into it. She turns and looks at me. She goes, Josh, you got your guitar? I said, yep. She says, you got your amp? I said, yep. She goes, you're up. And I kicked off the night playing with these guys. And, and it was one of the neatest experiences that at, you know, 15 years old, I'm playing with guys that are, you know, most of them at least twice my age, definitely more seasoned as musicians. And they all kind of embraced me and went, you know, hey, good job. And uh, it was shortly thereafter that um, from time to time, Richie would uh, come in and fill in with our band. We had a different drummer at the time named Chris Mascarella, who uh, lived in Miami. But around 2001, when we when we finished the uh, Out of the Blues band CD, which was the, the band that I was originally with, um, when we finished that CD, he moved up to Stewart, so he wasn't driving down as much to do the gigs. Richie lived in Fort Lauderdale, so we were using him a lot. And uh, it just kind of all you know spiraled from there into what we're doing today. But, you know, for, for me at my age and at, at the time that I moved down here to South Florida, I never set foot in the Musicians Exchange, didn't know oh, anything yeah. about it, had never met Don, yep. didn't know any of these guys, didn't know of, of the, you know, the Knuckle Busters, had never heard of any of these bands. And, you know, everybody later on tells me, oh yeah, you know, Frank, he's been in, you know, you know, Frank Ward, he's been, in, uh, you know, playing music down here forever. I said, yeah, but I wasn't, <laughs> and and that takes a lot for for people to kind of wrap their head around. Well, what do you mean? You know, you're based out of South Florida. I was born in South Jersey. I moved to Florida Jersey. in 1990. I was seven, <laughs> so you know, it just wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't that time, you know, uh, for me anyway. It wasn't that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I wasn't in that era of of music. There was other people that were around doing all of this stuff before me. Right. Uh, Musicians Exchange was a really cool place. I, I hear nothing but that. I've, I've heard amazing stories about people that I know that even live in the, in the Fort Myers area that saw guys like Albert kid, Collins though, and those but, guys. Yeah. yeah. I saw Debbie Davies there and oh, yeah. a bunch of people. All right, brother, who were some of your other uh, favorite? Well, I guess kind of keeping with the timeline of things, this is the, the last couple of... Uh, Local acts and stuff that I want to I want to touch base on. Obviously, as I was mentioning, I was that was when I was around 15 years old. Um, 2000, 2001. My dad and I go to ride our motorcycles up to the toy run, and that's where I get to see Hepcat for the first time. That's your guys. Pish posh. Nah, nah, get out of here. That was another one. I had heard the band, heard of the band, didn't know them, never met them. <laughs> got a chance to hear you guys and um you know told my dad you know man you know this is you know this you know n never mind the jimmy reed kind of blue stuff that we're doing we need to you know kind of light a fire underneath some of it and and you know for lack of a better word put some ass into what we're doing and and do some you know rock and blues and you know some of the more uh like rockabilly kind of jump blues stuff it's fun and um you know, it was from, from watching guys like you just freaking tearing it up on the stage. And I'm going, how cool is that? Again, same thing, trio. Yeah. Three guys, fun. everybody's tight. You know, that, that band, you know, set a lot of waves out there for, for people to, to catch, man. And it was great to hear. You know, it was always great to hear. I've told you that a hundred times. 
And, um, you know, you can go through and start listening and researching and looking up all these guys that, that came out of the South Florida area. And, you know, you, you'll be dumbfounded by it. I mean, I didn't know until I was probably 25, 6, 7, somewhere around there. How much of the whole Jocko Pistorius yeah. situation yeah. happened here? Yeah. I had no clue. Because I was not here for that. Manson too. I was well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the the what the hell is Johnny Depp's band? Uh kids. Kids, yep. I didn't know yep. any of that shit. Yep. Until you know, long many, many years later. Right. You know, so it's kind of neat to be able to say that you're part of the South Florida music scene, but to really know what that means is impressive. Yeah. And, you know, WLRN does a lot of really nice documentation of, you know, the, the blues and, and music and stuff like that that happened in the in the you know 50s and 60s and how much music was out on Miami Beach and yeah. in downtown and uh, sure. a lot of this stuff. But But to be able to say that you're still a part of that now is actually really neat. It's very. Yeah. It's. Uh, uh, I wish there were more clubs doing original music nowadays. In, I agree. Uh, Fort Lauderdale in Miami. It just doesn't seem like the case anymore. It's more DJs and electronic. Yep. Yep. I don't. And I don't know why. It's. Don't no. know why. <clears throat> I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. But you know what you do have to do with it and, and take from it. I guess is to to. Grab a hold of what's there and 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 give it your all, you know. Yeah. I've I've told you uh, I told you this a while back that uh, it's one of those things where, you know, for me and I'm sure you feel this way too that what we do really is a gift at the end of the day, to be able to play music for people, to be able to entertain people, to, you know, take a room full of people and whatever the hell they got going on in their life, they forget about it for the three or four hours that we're on stage. Yes, doing what I we agree. Do. Yeah is a gift. I mean, it, yeah. it really is. And it's nice to be able to incorporate that in whatever way it may be. You know, even if it's, you know, and I, I'm, you know, some people ask me, they say, well, how come you, you host open mic nights and how come you, you know, do jam nights and all this kind of stuff? You know, aren't you tired of playing with, you know, people that aren't very skilled? And I said, well, look, everybody has their own skill level. Everybody starts off in, in a different place. Sure. I said, yeah, I might be on stage with people that have only been playing for a year or two, or even if they've been playing for ten. Yeah, you know, I'm very fortunate to be able to do what I do, and much like the the previous story of me walking in and playing with Mr. Twister and Catchy sure. Cotton, they gave me the opportunity to take the stage as a younger player. Yeah, who are the younger players that I'm going to allow to do that? Right, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at now. All right, delving into uh, the favorite artist convo back. Well, you know, uh, it's one of those things where I think anybody that can inspire somebody else would be in my in my wheelhouse as favorite artists. And what I mean by that is, I enjoy guitarists like Roy Clark. Jerry Reed, Brad Paisley. Oh yeah, he's, these yeah. guys. I really, you know, admire <clears throat> what they did, what they do. The ones that are still around. Mm -hmm. The fact that on the Brad Paisley album "Play," 
It's a good album. He has a song on there where you hear like a, you know, it's supposed to be a kid talking to his grandfather about chicken picking style guitar players, and he starts rattling off all these names: Vince Gill, Red Velcar, all these guys. Oh yeah. And that kind of stuff, to me, I don't want to say the word impressed because that's really not 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 where I'm getting at with it. That kind of stuff makes me proud and want to listen to him and want to see what else he's going to do because he's paying the homage to the guys that did it before him. You know, he's talking about it. He's keeping these guys that some of them have passed on. Some of them are still around, obviously. Um, you know, Vince Gill's great, you know. But, you know, yeah, there's a lot of good. guys like, like Buddy Guy, you know, B.B. King. These are all names that even some people that don't really know a half a shit about blues would have still heard these names. Sure. You know, you've had the opportunity to meet him. I had the opportunity to, to meet him and, and play with him a few times. Uh, guys like Matt Guitar Murphy, who live here in South Florida. He lives down in Miami. He had a 30-, 40-year career yeah. before he was ever considered as as part of the whole Blues Brothers movie. Oh, yeah, and most people don't know that. Most people don't yeah, have any idea of that. that. Yeah. And places like Tobacco Road, which is now uh, a parking, a parking lot, lot in, yeah. uh, in Miami, yeah. had posters from when Matt played there in the 60s, yeah. 70s, whatever yeah. it was. So that that's always been kind of neat for me. You know, I, I like, you know, listening and... and uh, learning from guys like Hubert Sumlin that, that spent a lot of their life as a side guy. <clears throat> you know, Matt Guitar Murphy spent a lot of his time as a side guy, playing with other people. Right. Um, you had mentioned Debbie Davies. She worked with uh, Albert Collins for a yeah. long time. You know, the, these people are, are uh, you know, especially the ones that are still around, you know, these are people to, to seek out, you know, pick their brain, touch base with them. Uh, back in, in January when I was up in, in Memphis, uh, Bob Margolin had, did a couple of nights at the, the Rum Buggy Cafe right on Beale Street. And it's just cool to sit back and watch him play. Yeah. You know, he'll tell his stories about, you know, where the song came from and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it's cool for me that he's not just going in and doing a night of Muddy Waters tunes. He's doing yeah. his own stuff. <clears throat> as it should be. As it should be. Yeah. But when he does do a throwback and does pull some of the songs from Muddy that was his you know guy for many many years and guys that he that he worked with for over the years it's really cool you know and and uh, and I kind of like the you know taking the old and bringing it into the new and taking the new and 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 playing it off of the old you know I mean uh, as far as is there for me is there any one you know epicenter of you know, blues guitar players that I would say he is my absolute favorite. No, just haven't met him yet. Yeah, <laughs> to be honest with you, I haven't <laughs> met him yet. I mean, I, I, Gary Moore was one of the greatest blues rock guitarists. Um, Stevie Ray, obviously, in the same in the same realm. His brother Jimmy is a phenomenal Texas blues player. I, I mean, I like guys like like Kid Anderson that are that are younger guys that are working with uh, with uh, Rick Estrin and the Nightcats. Uh, little Charlie, he's one of the I think Amazing. best, most well-rounded yeah, guitarists. Yeah, I mean I don't think there's a style of blues that guy can't play. Yeah, 
you know, and then you talk to J.P. Soares, and yeah. he'll tell you that he sat around with Charlie doing gypsy jazz stuff on the Blue Screws one year, yeah, and just just farting around with with two guitars and yeah, and and yeah, you know, playing Django Reinhardt kind of stuff. It's yeah. like, <laughs> that yeah. kind of stuff's great. All right, uh, now we'll get into what most people don't know about you, Josh. What do you like to do on your days off? Do you like to paint? Long walks on the beach? Uh, <laughs> movies? I've never uh, painted long walks on the beach. <laughs> do you uh, uh, um, uh, like to make French bread? Tell us about, you know. Well, um, let's see. Uh, some people may or may not know that uh, uh, on the darker side of things, I, I've dealt with attention deficit disorder my entire life. Um, a couple years ago, about two, three years ago, that that uh, as a result of that, and as a result of jumping in both feet forward into music full time, it put me through a really kind of effed up battle with uh, depression for a bit. But thankfully, I'm on the on the good side of that. Um, to try to just relax and not have anything on my mind. Believe it or not, I actually enjoy cooking. Uh, I I. Uh, I tend to find that uh, whenever you're in a good blues club, chances are there's a good barbecue place either that club or within a few uh, a few feet shy of one. And um, you know, there's just something kind of relaxing about that. You know, when you're when you're getting ready for a gig and you're kind of stressed out or whatever, and it's noon and you know you're you're trying to decompress before going out and playing. You know, take an hour and and uh, you know, creates dinner for for your family. That's always kind of fun. Wow! Because you know, it t it takes your mind off of it. You gotta you gotta pay attention to what you're doing so you don't cut yourself or anything yeah. stupid like that. But uh, you know, something as simple as uh, as you know, putting chicken or steaks or you know you know uh, pork loins, whatever you want to want to do, on the grill and and uh, you know, cooking something for three or four hours and just uh, relaxing and not thinking about anything other than uh, you know. What's the meat timer, thermometer, or whatever say is your cook time? It, it's kind of nice to decompress with and that. It's very um, like meditation almost. Yeah, and and the nice part about it is it's still it's still creative. You know, if you're if you're trying something new, I mean, and you know, of course, you know, with anything, you know, there's recipes for everything. You know, there's recipes on how to play a. a, a you know, a twelve-bar blues song, but you can also put together a recipe for a barbecue rub or a seasoning or a salad or a whatever. You know, and it's kind of neat to to have an, an outlet. I mean, I know some some people like doing graphic arts, some people like doing painting. For me, I, I kind of uh, just enjoy trying different stuff uh, in the kitchen. You know, and, what's your favorite food? Um, and what's your favorite food to make? Well. The, uh, the barbecue stuff for me has been been my favorite. I've had the most success with that, but uh, I like uh, something as simple as just making a, a pasta and meat sauce dish at home. You know, it's it's actually very simple when you when you break it down to to the core ingredients. Um, but you know, I, I look at it and go, well, why am I going to go to uh, someplace like Olive Garden and have something that I could literally make in my own kitchen? You know, right? Yeah, and, and and literally, I can make enough of it to feed, you know, six eight people as opposed to uh, just myself for the same kind of price. 
and something else along those lines as, as you were uh, talking. One of the other things that I actually find very soothing, I guess would be the way to put it, is something as simple as watching the sunrise. Now, you know as well as I do that there's venues like the poorhouse where your gig's over at, you know, 4 o'clock, 5 a.m., whatever it is you're packing up. But uh, next time you get a chance to, and it's and it's kind of a rarity, most people don't, although from here you probably get a good good view out of it looking out over the water. Something as simple as, as going down to Fort Lauderdale Beach, parking your car and sitting out on the sand watching the sunrise. It's just something that's so... That's just to me. It's just so relaxing. You know, I've I've sat out there with a guitar. I've sat out there with a harmonica, just farting around with stuff, and just to see a perspective of the world that isn't everybody sitting in traffic, driving as you you know on your way to a gig, everybody on the freaking highway. Just just to check out for a little while. Right. You know half hour, hour, whatever, you know, whatever's cool with you, you know, whatever fits into your day is always kind of neat, you know, you get to hear the birds, you get to see the, the waves coming in on the beach, you know, if you're anywhere near Port Everglades, obviously, you get to see the cruise ships that are coming in, exactly, it's, it's very relaxing, you know, and, you know, some guys like to, to go fishing and, and, you know, just relax that way. I like doing the outdoors kind of stuff. I mean, I'm I'm always a fan of doing you know boating and things like that. In fact, my parents and I, when we first moved down here, we lived on a sailboat, which was very neat. It's very relaxing to be able to just sit and you know uh, hear the sound of uh, of the wind, you know, blowing through the the rigging on the sails. <laughs> but it's it's all it, it it you gotta you gotta take time out of the out of the craziness. To be able to, you know, catch your breath and and unplug for a few minutes. That's key, and, man. And that's that that really helped me out. Like I, like I said, with with a lot of the, the depression issues and all that stuff that I was working with. I mean, yes, there's going to be more gigs. Yes, there's always a different way to make money to pay your bills. You know, I I you know as a as a crutch, I still have my commercial vehicle license in case I ever have to go back to driving eighteen wheelers again. Let's hope you don't have you know, to go back to that. I that. don't ever want to have to do that again. Amen. But to be able to say that I can, if if it ever came down to it, yeah. is is okay. But is it what I want to do in life? Hell no. Right. I agree. Yeah. And that and that's you know I, I thank Marie for that. My my lovely wife Marie, she um, was one of the ones that was really responsible for telling me. She says, "Look, if you're not a hundred percent happy with what you're doing." Yeah, if you're not playing the type of music that you want to play, right? If you're not doing the type of gigs and the type of shows that you want to do, right? Make the change. Sure. Make it happen. It's very. It's if you scary. want to play, it's hard. It, it's, it's freaking terrifying. Absolutely, yeah. mm -hmm. especially to go, you know, as, as something that can be so judgmental. I mean, she kind of she, she made me laugh. Uh, we played the um, the blues cruise pre party. And from where she was sitting, she heard somebody talking behind her that wasn't really a fan of what I do, apparently. And being that the guy had no idea who I was, and she's never met this person, this was somebody that was just on boat for the for the cruise, he was kind of 
I don't want to say slamming me, but every time that I decided that I was going to do an original tune, he goes, people don't want to hear original stuff. They want stuff that's going to get them up and dance. Are you shitting me? And she turns around and she says, that's the nice part about music. There's a lot of stuff out there for everybody. Now, she didn't tell me this until after I... After right. we were already left, and we and right. and you know never pointed out the person, and that person. Oh. No, no, no. To me, that doesn't matter. I don't need to know who he is. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. <laughs> it's just funny that in a room full of two or three hundred people, that two or three people may not like what you do. It's hard to then take that, make that your life's goal, make it your living, and yeah. still have the the. Uh, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The the drive to want to do that because you, you got to put the thought that somebody else might not like it out of your mind if you like what you're doing. You know, as a, a little bit of a sidebar, I guess with it with that with that very situation, um, that same person that she was referring to when Terry Hanks band got up and was playing, he was doing songs that people knew song recognition, songs that, peop that people had heard before as opposed to original material. And there's a lot of times where you'll see bands, acts, groups, whatever, that have huge followings because the entire night they play, I don't want to say pop music but top or top 40 music, but songs that people know. Right. And I think that's kind of where it becomes disheartening as a musician who's trying to write new material and work on your own stuff and get your own thoughts and your own creativity yeah. out there. Sure. That's where it kind of comes around and, and feels like it wants to bite you in the butt mm -hmm. because so many people want to hear the songs that they've heard a hundred times mm -hmm. because they want to sit there and have drinks and not think about anything and sing along to something and don't have to think. Yeah. You know, hey, I get that. I get that. You know, but look, if you want to get up and dance, tell me the song that you want to hear, and I'll play my own song that sounds and, and feels just like it. Your feet are still going to be moving, mm -hmm. but it'll be my song with my lyrics as opposed to the song that you're talking about with somebody else's lyrics. Yeah, I could play both of them. Hell, I'll even start with my own tune and then segue into the other song. doesn't matter to me. But it all comes kind of full circle where you start going as a a original music artist and as a performer and as an entertainer and as a business person as a band leader as a musician who relies on things like tips and mm -hmm. you know repeat gigs mm -hmm. then the balance beam comes out you want to play songs that make you feel good you know personally right you want to play songs that people are going to enjoy, mm -hmm. which hopefully are some of your stuff. Mm -hmm. If it's covers, it's covers. But then you want the venue to be happy. You want them to buy drinks. You want the people to stay and have fun. You want the people to enjoy themselves. Right. You got you know when you start going through all of this stuff, then you know everything kind of comes around on you and go, whew. You know, at the end of the day, I'm not just walking out of the house with a guitar. I've got 27 other responsibilities yeah. on the top of my my head and especially if you're working with a band and you have a bass player and drummer or keyboard player or whatever the, the, the situation is then you have to kind of check yourself where 
sure, I could have been really pissed off at the guy if I had overheard what he said, but what do I care what his opinion is? At the end of the day, he's entitled to it. You know, I can't let it ruin my gig or ruin my fun or ruin the good time that I'm having or ruin everybody else's party because of drama. You know, I, you know, you don't need that. And, and what's nice about it is as long as you can keep that in control without wanting to, you know, go over and punch the guy in the head, which is sometimes the first reaction. That's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I get it. Believe me, there's, there's been times. There's, there's, there's always times when, when Just you know, somebody Just tells you. Just kidding. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> no, there's always that time where the initial reaction goes, well, screw him, he's an asshole. No, he's entitled to his opinion. You know? But I'm not here to please everybody. All at the same time, I'm here to, to make music that makes me feel good, that hopefully gets the audience up and moving. And if even one person at the end of the gig comes over and thanks me for a job well done, sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mr. Josh, do you, do you have any regrets? No. Um, the only... <laughs> I, well, I wouldn't even call it a regret. The only thing that I guess would, would be is that I wish I had kind of made the jump sooner. But I don't know that I was ready to do all of that at the time. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be able to do it now. I mean, I, I know a lot of guys that, uh, that can't say that, they can, that they're out playing six nights a week. Um, you know, voluntarily choosing not to do Monday nights right now because it's nice to have a night home. Mm -hmm. You know, and, um, you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse at the same time. You know, uh, what, at what point does things start affecting your family life? You know, I, I spent uh, a week or two ago, I was over on the West Coast gigging for 11 days. 13 shows in 11 days. All on the West Coast. Not home. Not hey what's going on not checking in with the with the wife and the family you know it that kind of makes a a, a big uh, impact on things so you know finding the balance with all of that is good uh the nice part about it is is that um you know uh marie has been uh, integral in a lot of the the keeping your business sense into things because she worked in as a uh as a bookkeeper where at the end of the day it comes down to numbers you know uh, here's you know here's how much money's coming in this week from shows okay well you know what's the best use of it what do we got coming up what expenses do we have you know so there's a lot of stuff to balance out there and um, you know like I said just just having having home time you know it, um, there's a lot of people that uh, you know will tell you you know if all you do is spend six months of your life in a van driving around from gig to gig to gig, traffic, yeah. you're going you're gonna to go yeah. freaking nuts. And yes. especially just something as simple as, as, uh, as, as driving to a new venue. You know, yeah. everybody's nervous because it's a new place you've never been before. You know, don't go in there freaking all crazy because, you know, you just drove 18 hours in the van with two people that both need a shower. And you, you, know, yes. you, you just want to go, all right, I'm freaking over this shit. Yeah. But... It's a good place to be, and I think it's nice to be able to do, because uh, not everybody has the ability to do it, it's nice to be able to give yourself a little bit of a self-check when you're doing 
a solo gig as opposed to doing a band gig all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives you the opportunity to to um, to say, what am I doing musically for myself? You know, and it's nice when you're playing solo because you don't, you know, the band, the bass player wants to do this, or the drummer needs to take a break, or uh, you know, wh- whatever the the circumstances are. Hey, I'm I'm the guy with the guitar sitting down, or you know, playing music and doing what I'm doing for that kind of time. It's it's um, the ultimate. Um, mental give and take you know you put a song out there and you hope that people applaud if they don't then you play something different and you find a song that they will applaud to and then you do more songs that of that style yeah you know and that, that's kind of the neat thing of, of of being able to do this as a as full-time you know a lot of painters and and artists that do things you know visually and graphically you know, you may you're not going to get the same kind of instant gratification as you do when you play a song. Yep. Play a four minute song, you get a two minute, you know, standing ovation. That's what makes your night. You know, it, it it's you know the immediate uh, give and take. You know, some people may paint a painting and it may hang in their uh, art studio for years before somebody ever sees it, likes it, buys it, and hangs it up on their wall. That's the nice part, I guess, about uh, you know the the type of field that we're in as as live music. You know, it's it's live because it's live. It's happening right now. You know, if you if you screwed up a chord change on that song, you're never going to get it back. Hey, you already played it. You know, I say, hey, if you screwed it up once, play it the second time, and everybody thinks it was deliberate. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mr. Uh, Josh, we're going to talk about your songwriting process, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Josh brought in. A guitar today, and uh, we're going to listen to some of the magic happen right here. I don't even know that it's a process anymore. I think they just kind of fall at me. And uh, what I mean by that is, I got a had a situation. I was I was driving over to Fort Myers a lot for gigging, and doing a lot of driving back and forth. And uh, there was just one night where. You know, it's three or four o'clock in the morning, you're exhausted, your eyes are feeling, you know, that like sandpapery thing, you're driving across, going, okay, it's a two hour drive home, I have no idea where I'm at, it's foggy, you know, it, you're, you're going, okay, is this is all this shit worth it, Am I, is it worth me driving back at, you know, yeah. three, four o'clock in the morning, sure. driving in the, in the, you know, questionable conditions, sure. jeopardizing my, uh, mental health going across the alley sure but no it all it all kind of comes comes uh comes around with it you know it, it eventually makes sense what are you gonna play for us today well this this is, is a song that, that literally it, it kind of wrote itself driving across alligator alley and uh it had some addendums to it because circumstances and things happened uh on on the, the trip and on the many miles that i've gone back and forth I found you can only name so many alligators as you're driving across, so okay. why not write a song? Driving all night on that lonesome road Don't know how much farther I got left to go can't wait, baby, to have you in my arms 
Well, your darling is where I belong Hey now, darling, where you saw those two Gonna drive all night and get back home to you Home to you Hey now, baby, let's go take a ride Drive with me across to the other side Hands are getting tired, my eyes can't see the road Baby, I need you to come along with me and go Ain't hey I darling, where you so no it's true Gonna drive all night and get back home to you Home to you Now this particular song And this will be the addendum I was referring to about, I don't know, three months after I started putting this tune together, I was listening, you know, just trying to stretch out and find more verses and figure out what would work with it, and had a run-in with one of Florida Highway Patrol's finest. Oh, no, no. So I told him, I said, yeah, I'm a musician, I, uh, you know, driving to Fort Myers to play, and he said, all right, slow it down, you know, I was doing 90 in the 70s, nice, so bro. Yeah, it happens. But I told him I was going to put him in the song. And he said, well, if you want, I'll take a little bit off your ticket. And he didn't, so I'm not putting his name in the song. No, hold on. Driving all night with my foot down on the gas. Don't know how much longer I can keep the speed up fast. Mr. Officer, won't you please let me slide? Gotta get back home to see that girl of mine. Hey now, baby, well, you so know it's true. Gonna drive all night and get back home to you. Home to you. That's right. Home to you. Yeah. Josh Rome. Well, thank you, Josh, for coming today. And uh, why don't you... uh, plug your new album when it's going to be out um your guitar from alley cat your website your dates your merch tour future sure absolutely well as as of right now um we're doing a lot of a lot of music on on both coasts on in florida the uh, naples fort myers area um gracious to have a uh, a steady every other saturday at george and wendy's out on sanibel that's a hell of a gig um i'm basing a lot of my other music over that way around it. There's a place called Slates that I play over in Cape Coral a lot. Uh, over here in the Fort Lauderdale area, there's the downtown or saloon. We've got some shows coming up there, Blue Jean Blues. Um, also Kelly Brothers. You can you can check us out at any of their sites to figure out when we're going to be there. You can jump online to the thepitbulloflues.com. There's also the Pitbull of Blues uh, Facebook page and also my own Josh Rowan, the Pitbull of Blues uh, Facebook page. Uh, yeah, for those of you who are uh, guitar aficionados, check out Dave Gartland at Alley Cat, A-L-I-K-A-T, dot com, dot A-U, because he's out of Australia. He's the one that put together the 57 Chevy guitar for me. And, um, yeah, definitely check him out. I also uh, want to throw a uh, line to Bruce Gottner. He uh, put together a very cool cigar box guitar for me that... Uh, Instead of it being a cigar box body, it's a uh, Jack Daniels Tennessee whiskey tin, so it's always kind of cool. He's another local guy. He's out of West Palm. But, uh, yeah, definitely come on out and say hello and uh, 
you know, you can, uh, the, the new CD hopefully will have it in hand, uh, hopefully sometime in March. We're hoping to have it out before the end of the year, but, uh, Got a title are, for it? things are a little backed up. We're, we're, we're in the works right now. We're, 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 we have the songs recorded. We have all the stuff together and we're working on the artwork and trying to, uh, see if we want to title it off of one of the, the album tracks or, uh, whatnot but we're kicking around a couple of ideas for it and uh, the nice part about it is the the materials is going to be um is going to be most mostly original and what i mean by that is we have a friend of ours that that uh lyrically wrote a couple of the songs that we're going to do uh he's up in nashville awesome. friend of ours george felton he uh, gave me uh, the permission to do a couple of his songs cool uh we uh shifted things around musically and and changed it up a little bit also, uh, Graham from Michael Echo asked. Uh, I asked him about doing one of his tunes, and he said absolutely, he'd love to have us uh, uh, record it. So uh, you'll see some of those guys' names on the on the credits for the album as well. Sweet. But um, my father, uh, Denny Rowand, uh, played bass on all the tunes. Richie Corselli did all the drum work for it. Um, there's actually a couple of songs where uh, I'm playing everything from harmonica to banjo to uh, awesome. washboard to a little bit of everything. Cool. So. Yeah, we're real excited to get it out there and get it out to the world and uh, everybody on online. The um, we we have the the relaunch for the website already in mind with uh, you know a separate merch page for you know shirts and things of that nature. So all that'll be uh, be in the coming months. So all right, people. So take the word, take the good word. Support live music. Support the scene. Support Josh. Go to his shows. Buy the merch, buy the music, and peace, love, and hot sauce.